The April 20th Mindful Parenting Retreat Day is filling up fast. Join me and other parents in Wilmington, Delaware for a day of rest and relaxation, mindfulness and mindful communication practices, and a live podcast too. And my special guest for the live podcast is, drumroll please, Lynetta Willis. You know her from episode 366 and 400. She is a psychologist and sought-after speaker who teaches her Triggered to Transformed program to struggling parents. Join us and bring a friend to this powerful day-long retreat in Wilmington, Delaware on April 20th, 2024. But hurry, space is limited. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat to get your spot now. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat. We don't have full control over our kids at any age, but we do have influence and we can be a positive influence in our kids' media habits and their relationship to media. I'm Sora, and welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 266. Today, we're talking about how to handle screen time with Anya Kamenetz. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Hey, welcome back, my friend. How are you doing? How are you hanging in there? I have to report that there is sunshine outside my window and it's making me so happy. So this is going to be a real short intro and outro because I want to get out in that sunshine. It's like 50 degrees out, which I'm sorry for you guys. Those of you guys who do Celsius, I cannot tell you what that is right now, but it's nice and pretty warm. I'm so excited. So I hope that you are getting a little bit of this wherever you are, something that little that makes you smile and makes you feel good today. And and welcome to you, especially if you are a new listener. I am so excited to talk to you and have you dive into this conversation. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with NPR education correspondent and author Anya Kamenetz. Her most recent book is The Art of Screen Time, Digital Parenting Without Fear. And we're going to talk about the screen time thing, because I don't know about you, but it's like crazy out of control in my house with like, pandemic winter. Ay, ay, ay. So I'm like all in a tizzy worried if my kids are going to be just turning into, you know, zombies like in the matrix. So if you're with me, then this is definitely the episode for you. You know, we have these questions. Are our kids getting too much screen time? Is there such a thing as healthy screen time? When is it time to cut back on screen time? So I talked to Anya about all of these things, along with many other questions. I know this is going to be a super helpful episode for you. I want you to listen for some important takeaways, how we want to think of creating healthy screen time habits, the way we create healthy eating habits, how Family participation in conversations about appropriate screen time usage is the key. We need everybody involved. And that we also want to consider not only the time spent, but what they're engaging with. What are they doing? Is it, is it useful? So I want you to listen up for all of these things. 
All right, I got to get out to the sunshine. Join me at the table as we talk to Anya Kamenetz. Anya, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thanks for having me, Hunter. I'm glad to talk to you because, you know, I need some help with this screen time issue. People are asking me about it and I'm like, oh uh-huh. God, you know, it, and it's so funny because it seems so much easier when my kids were younger. And I want to talk about screen time at kind of in, and in the different age ranges, but like, yeah, like when they were below two, it was like easy, like no screen time, you know, or like when they were four and five and six is like, like really like not a lot. We're just going to keep it pretty minimal. You know, at least that was my approach. You know, I really wanted them to have a lot of like three dimensional in the world play. I wanted them to get bored sometimes. Yep. And, yep. um, and now, you know, we're all like remote learning. They can't yep. get together with their friends. The, you know, like Minecraft is like a saving grace for my kids because they're yeah. like on with their friends, like playing with them, but like, they're also on the screen all day with school. And I have a standing desk, but my kid doesn't have a standing desk. She's like mm-hmm. sitting down, like they're so sedentary all day. Okay. So these are all my like personal yeah. vetches about yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> and I know you have kids too. So yeah. maybe you could just help us like kind of describe the problem. And I know there's like not a lot of research about this, but like how does screen time maybe, maybe we could look at like how does screen time affect kids at, at, at those different ages, like the very young kids, the elementary Mm -hmm. kids, and then the adolescents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So, um, I mean, the first thing I want to say to you and just all the parents out there is don't panic. We are (laughs) in such a hard to control in such an uncertain time right now. And I think it's very easy to fixate on our kids and their technological devices, because it seems like maybe this is something we can control or we can intervene on. And it's just so in our faces all the time. Um, But, you know, I really do advise parents to take a harm reduction approach always to focus on, you know, helping the areas that you can control and letting go of what you can't control. And to recognize that our bonds with our children come first. So as long as we're there, we're concerned, we're a positive influence in our lives, in their lives, it's going to be um, a better outcome than you know. You know, we don't have full control over our kids at any age, but we do have influence and we can be a positive influence in our kids' media habits and their relationship to media. So that's just a baseline. Um, in terms of, yeah, just, yeah, just take that Thank you. pressure off for a sec, right? Um, with my book, The Art of Screen Time, when I set out to research it, I was, um, you know, getting ready to have my second child. And I had all of these questions about what is it doing to their brains? What is it doing to their eyesight, to their emotional development? And, um, you know, the, the effects that researchers look at are in different kinds of buckets um, that correspond to the developmental needs of children at different ages. So when you were looking at, for example, um, you know, a zero to three Um, interestingly, the most well-documented effects have to do with language development and not because of the child's involvement with the device, but because of a parent's involvement with the device. So Mm. for example, it's been shown that with background television going on, um, mother and child conversation can drop 90%. So we're not having those exchanges with our kids back and forth. And there's more recent uh, research that shows basically when a a parent is involved in their device and is interrupted by their device constantly, as we often are, um, it is stopping kind of this skillful cycle that we want to be in with our toddlers when they are 
they're having a frustration, we're seeing them head down a path and we kind of intervene. We help them, we help them name the feeling, we help them respond to the feeling. And we kind of have to have our radar on in order to do that. And so when we're interrupted because we're paying attention to anything else, it could be bills that we have to pay, it could be the phone that's ringing or the pot on the stove. But when it's the phone and the phone is interrupting us, you know, every couple of minutes, we get less skillful. And our kids, mm -hmm. therefore, are not developing their own emotional self-regulation because they really need our help to do that. Um, and as kids get a little bit farther down the developmental path, you know, we are looking to them to develop their attention span and their focus that they can do reading and they can do math. And we really start to look at what we call um, dandelions and orchids. So a lot of our kids are the dandelion type. They're very resilient and they can come up almost anywhere and they're gonna be really fine and good with various dosages of screens. Um, we have some of our kids that are more sensitive. They are maybe atypically developing. They may be ADHD. They may be on the autism spectrum or they have you know, emotional or sensory regulation processing issues, right? Those kids are more prone to a fixation on the device very hard to get them off of the device um, and hard for them to uh, kind of self-regulate because it's so stimulating, right? To be on the video game or on the TV and they get explosive. So it's taken away from them and they really have an explosive reaction. And that's when you really start to think about, okay, how do I put the guardrails on and how do I have limitations that they can understand? And maybe you have a chart, maybe you use a kitchen timer, you have a pass system. So you're handing out passes in exchange for something that you do want to see. Um, and just something that's out there that is an agreed upon pattern or metric that you're gonna use as a family, just like you do around food. You know, you probably have rules around dessert, you have rules around snacking, what's a meal time, what's not a meal time. Um, you know, we roast marshmallows when we're on a camping trip, but we're not gonna roast marshmallows every single day. Uh, so these are the types of things that you wanna start thinking about doing with screen time, developing a healthy model culture habit. Um, can, and then, can I yeah, jump, please, go just ahead. jump in here because, um, yeah. so, that fixation on screens, it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Because like, they're just, it's, it's, they're designed to be so, you know, appealing and just like give us those dopamine hits. And the kids are just like, it's kind of like a drug, right? For kids in the brain in that it's like giving us these hits. So, so you're saying we want to, for especially, especially for those ADD sensory processing kids that have difficulties with that highly sensitive kids that we really want to just have some clear boundaries around that and, and hold them in like, you know, in a way that's of course, hold their boundaries in a way that's kind and not blameful and not judgmental. But yeah. I like what you're yeah. saying. You were saying like a chart, a past system system or a timer. And so you're saying like, I can't, I think what I want to underline from what you said that you, um, that I want to point to is that using something that's like external from just you, mom or yeah. dad, uh, 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 an external objective thing that is, mm -hmm. is, is like, okay, that limit is there. We have this boundary. And then you're just holding that boundary with compassion, but there's kind of this external thing. It reminds me of like when we were going to school, oh, way, way back when, long yeah. time ago, we used to use a talking countdown timer in my house that would say like yeah. five minutes to go and four minutes mm -hmm. to go. So I wasn't the one who had to say that. It was like the machine that said that. Um, mm -hmm. So it's similar to that. It's like externalizing that is kind of mm -hmm. what you pointed to, Anya, which is cool. Yeah. Thanks for underlining that. And, and you give me the opportunity to say also that, you know, um, ideally you're not 
imposing this on a one-sided way, but you're having a family conversation around this where you're getting their buy-in. So you're saying to them, you know, um, what are the good things about playing video games all day? What are the bad things about getting, playing video games all day? Do you ever notice that you're cranky with me when I tell you that it's time to eat dinner and turn it off? What do you notice about that? Why does it make you so cranky? Is it, and let's problem solve together. So a lot of times if you give kids the opportunity, they will collaborate with you in setting the boundaries um, because they're noticing, they know, especially, and honestly, there's more opportunity in the COVID times than ever before for kids to say, gosh, I'm tired of this screen. <laughs> I've had enough um, and I wish that I could go outside. So, you know, figuring out how to be collaborative with your kids, I think is gonna go a long way. Um, having that external, and I should mention, lots of devices have their own controls. Um, that are more or less easy to use. So you can also utilize those as well. Um, I'm a paper and pen mom, so that's that's how I, I gravitate. But you know, definitely there are parents who are optimizing the parental controls and that works too. Oh, I just want to put in here that this is so important. And I kind of thought that like, I kind of thought my husband had done it because he's like the tech guy in the house. And like one day my daughter who is nine or eight, I can't remember at the time, but she... I was doing a coaching call for mindful parenting and she heard me talk about spanking. And then she went in and Googled spanking <gasps> and she, uh -oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he was like in a meeting, he looks over and he sees her like looking at porn and he's like, Oh my yeah. God. And he has to stop his me. I mean, apparently it was just like a really brief kind of thing, but I was like, mm -hmm. Oh my God, what, we don't, we didn't have these controls. So people please like this can happen to the best of us. Like yeah. get the, make sure you know what is blocked and what is not blocked on your mm -hmm. devices that your kids have access to. Uh, I totally agree with that. Um, and I feel your pain. I also, this is also an opportunity to say that we need to have open lines of communication with our yes. kids about, have you ever seen anything that you don't understand or that you have questions about? You can always come to me. I'm not going to be mad at you, you know, um, and, and have an opportunity to share your values. And if I can just mention one um, study that I found to be so interesting, which was uh, that of families that had conversations with their middle school age children about porn, sharing their values around it, what they, you know, what they thought about it, uh, whether that was a religious perspective, a feminist perspective, it really doesn't matter. They had that conversation that had a really protective effect on those kids. And so they followed them to college and they found that they were less likely to look at porn, less likely to have unhealthy relationships with porn or to be in relationships with people that use porn. So I think that knowing that, you know, you there's no off limits um, as a family and that you can talk about these things. Again, we have influence and not control. Um, so, so communication is really our best friend. You know, some healthy skepticism in my life has served me well. And if you're like that, if you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from about a mile away, you read labels like it's your job, congratulations, you're a skeptic. And Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. I take Ritual's Essentials for Women 18 Plus every single day, morning and at lunch. And I am feeling great. I love this vitamin. Rituals Essentials for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. Plus, Ritual Vitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. 
They select lower carbon packaging. They prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients and set ambitious climate goals. Plus, Ritual is a female-founded B Corp, which means they are responsible to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash mindful. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mindful for 25% off. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. My uh, my eighth grader is, is not going to thank you next time she and I are alone in the car. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Car trip is the best for this when you're both looking straight ahead. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. All right. Um, well, thank you. That was a really uh, fruitful tangent, I think, to sort of mm-hmm. go on. But we're talking about um, how it's like affecting kids at kind of those different ages. Yeah, um, right. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, one thing that I just, I, I should back up and say what I found so convincing across the board in the science is about sleep. Mm. And that is really across the board. I mean, it's screwing up our nap times for our toddlers and it's screwing up definitely our bedtimes for our teens. Um, so there's, if there's one thing to hold the line on and be old school about, it's really devices in the bedroom and having that wind down time before sleep. Um, because it has these different, you know, lots of different mechanisms for it. But basically, I think that's important to recognize. And our kids need sleep so much. And one of the very small saving graces of this time has been many of our teenagers are able to sleep in and get their allotted hours. Yeah. And that just is so helpful for so many things. Yes, it's amazing. Yeah, my my um, almost 14-year-old, she doesn't have to do her morning meeting until nine in the morning. It's like, yeah thank goodness. Like that just yeah. makes sense. Like, let's do that. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of ways that it's messing up our sleep. And so it could, for a toddler, it can mess up sleep before a nap time. If it's like right before, when is that like, what do, what do parents of toddlers want to watch out for there? Oh, that's a good question. So, um, I just think a kid that's very revved up, uh, from watching, yeah, a lot of exciting stuff in the afternoon might have it had a harder time going mm-hmm. down for a nap. They also might drop the nap too soon because they're just, um, overstimulated in general throughout the day and they're not getting restful sleep at night. And, you know, with toddlers, it can have a rebound effect where they're more wired the next day and more explosive. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, um, it, you know, it's going to depend on your, your family's routines. You know, if you want to just like hold a, hold a stop to it before dinner time and, and make sure that there's plenty of time after dinner to unwind. 
Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Unfortunately, it's like, that's when parents want to unwind, right? Is after dinner is like, that's when we want to unwind. Like, that's a good time for, you know, seemingly. Um, Okay. All right. So it's, you know, we're, we want to really look at like, especially kids with ADHD who have sensory processing issues. We want to hold those boundaries. How is screen time affecting kids? So, and and what did you see? I guess I would just want to kind of highlight just before we move on the thing for the very young kids. So when my kids were very young, it was like, don't give them screen time under two. And so we didn't, we didn't give them any screen time under two, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I see tons of kids in, 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 in strollers with like mm-hmm. devices, like watching stuff. So what does the research say about that now? So, um, we honestly don't have the kind of research that we'd like to have. The AAP guidelines were updated with a little more nuance to include the idea that um, video chatting is probably fine, even with newborns, because uh, they are getting a little bit more of interactive back and forth um, than they would be if they're watching a recorded video. Um, also, they were they updated to just say that about 30 minutes of digital device time a day is probably okay, even for like a toddler, um, on the logic that it was, it's no more than they would be involved with any toy in the toy box. Like there, you know, there's no toy that can hold a toddler's attention for more than 30 minutes. And that's pretty, probably an outside. Um, but I just want to bring in the other two concepts that I, that I have around screen time. It's not just about the amount of time on the device. It's very Mm -hmm. much about who they're doing it with and what they're, what they're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So you know, an example of very appropriate digital engagement for a small child that you might have to amuse, let's say on a car ride, would be looking at photos together of family members, um, uh, an interactive kind of play that I'll do with my three-year-old. Now, four-year-old would be like, what sound does this animal make? I don't know. Let's watch a video clip. And then we watch the animal together. Then we make the sound, right? So there's mm-hmm. back and forth. There's dialogue. And similar to what you would do with a book right, or any other piece of media where you're, you know, you point to the picture, you name what's in the picture, you talk about it, maybe you imitate the sound or the music. There's lots and lots of um, videos that are um, meant to be interactive, whether they're children's yoga videos or um, dance videos, Go Noodle, I think is a great one for kids of lots of different ages. That's like, they were meant to be like indoor physical education, right? So it's like a short video with some learning and some dancing. Um, Interactive co-viewing, and then also looking for things that are a little on the slower side. So uh, I really am a fan of audio, not just because I work in audio, but mm-hmm. I think that audio makes your brain do a little more work to put this together. Yay, audio! Yeah, <laughs> for yeah the we love it. <laughs> Listeners. Um, you also can move around your room when you're listening to audio. So you don't have to be um, tethered to the device mm-hmm. in the same way. Those are both really good things. So getting our kids listening to stories um, when we can't be there to read to them. Um, I think it's a good thing to look, to think about as well. While we're there, you have a three, you know, you had a three-year-old, almost four-year-old currently. When my kids are in those ages or maybe five and six, we loved, we, you know, there are, I'm sure there's so, so many more now, but like we loved sparkle stories were like these like amazing, like super like crunchy nourishing audios. It was like a, stories about like a, a brother and sister who are having green beans for breakfast. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. This is a good influence on you. Like, mm-hmm. but what do you like that maybe the listener doesn't know about? What are some things that you think are, are good just to give them a shout out here? 
Oh, sure. I mean, uh, Wow in the World is a big, uh, big thing mm. in our house. The science podcast, um, Story Seeds, we've listened to a few times. And then honestly, like Roald Dahl, audiobooks mm. tend to be a huge hit. And then there's a series, we belong to Epic, which is a digital book subscription service. And one of the cool things about that is when my daughter was getting her like reading, it's like training wheels for reading. So she can get the same book and she can get audio and print versions at the same time and read them and listen to them. So I think that really helped her kind of carry her along. Yeah. Cool. Good. All right. So we don't always have to, we can hold those (laughs) boundaries around the screens. We can give them some audio content instead and like how, you know, help, help out that. Okay. So, um, and our, what are the effects of screen time that we're seeing on maybe elementary or older kids, middle school and high school? Sure. So, um, you know, I think obviously the needs of our kids as they get older um, translate out more into their peer, their peer interactions and their development as social beings, right? So um, we become more concerned with their digital interactions with cyberbullying. Um, with, um, you know, negative types of interactions, negative self-comparisons, negative self-talk. Are they using social media kind of to, that in a way that makes them feel bad about themselves? Or um, with video games, you know, is it a place where uh, there's a lot of kind of um, uh, hazing type of conversation, very kind of angry conversation that can go on between boys sometimes, um, similar to sports. I mean, trash talking is a thing in games, just like it is in sports. Um, and so thinking with our kids, thinking with our kids, talking with our kids about um, how do you like to socialize online and, and what, are the, what are the ways that feel good and what are the ways that feel not so good and how do you, what do you do when someone says something you don't like or they text something to you that you don't like? Do you have a language for talking about that or resolving conflicts? And just helping our kids become more skillful um, on that, I think is, is pretty key. And then, you know, on the margins, um, besides the sort of sensitive kids that we talked about, um, certainly we're hearing way too much about anxiety and depression amongst the tweens and the teenagers right now. And um, I think it's fair to say that social media can be a vehicle for those feelings. It can be a place where you go um, and you you can feel better about yourself or worse about yourself. Um, but, you know, certainly the diving into kind of the one-way consumption um, is hardly ever going to organically make you feel better. Mm. Um, so, I mean, we certainly all have rituals of self-care where we say like, oh, there's a comedy movie or there's a song that I listen to that makes me feel better. Um, and we can share those with our kids as well and help them, you know, understand how media consumption can, can be contributing to wellness. We can talk to them about reaching out to friends and extending support to friends as well. Um, but uh, I think we, would, we do want to watch for like a dynamic where a kid feels unmotivated to do anything other than be on their device and then being on their device brings them even lower. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and okay. So when we're, we want to watch for that and in that kind of that passive thing, that passive consumption, watch for that being, bringing them lower. And then for those interactions, we just want to be coaching and teaching them, guiding them through those interactions and kind of offering some support, I guess. We're not necessarily talking about like, you know, I, what I'm, what I'm not hearing you say, which I think is interesting to kind of point out too, is that you're, I'm not hearing you say like, uh, spyware, like figure out all the, you know, like look at all their texts or, or whatever, that kind of thing. Um, is there any, um, you know, is what are experts saying about that kind of thing? Feel like you're the martyr in your family 
You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Um, I think this is a topic that can divide some experts. Um, I think that uh, I just really err on the side of establishing trust with your kids. And um, it can be a trust, but verify it. Certainly if you're upfront about it, and I especially would say the younger the kids are, the more appropriate it might be to have a sort of eavesdropping component, just like you might not, you know, you might not say to your 11 year old, oh, you should, you should conduct all of your social business in the schoolyard with no supervision from any adult whatsoever. Like you probably wouldn't say that, right? Yeah. Um, you probably would say like, I would love to have your friends over in the rec room and I'll come in and out with snacks and I'll overhear what you're talking about, but I won't be inserting myself. Right. Yeah. Unless yeah, I hear yeah. something with the mm. big red flag mm-hmm. or I'm driving you to gymnastics and I'm listening to the back seat, but I'm not like busting in. Um, so those kinds of the slow boundaries and the slow backing away and the scaffolding, mm. um, is really, really important to do. And so I think that, I think if you give an 11 year old a phone, you can give it to them with the understanding that it might get collected by mom at some point. Um, I don't think that's unfair at all. But Mm -hmm. a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old, 16-year-old might be a very different story. And so you really need to have that buy-in. You know, spyware is, it's a tough one. Like, and even on a school-wide basis. So so many, many schools that have the school-issued devices are buying software that triggers and red flags on, you know, talk of self-harm or talk of suicide or violence. Um, and those systems are not perfect, but what social and emotional um, development experts, psychiatrists, psychologists tell me is that um, a system like that can provide an early warning, but you have to have trusted adults that have relationships with kids because you can say, hey, I found this on your computer. And what is that kid's motivation to tell the truth about what's happening at that point? 
You know, is it, is it, are they literally reaching out for help, cry for help? Okay, great. I'm glad that we found you and we can have this conversation. Or is it a school where adults are not trusted by the teens? Mm -hmm. And then no matter how many red flags you get, you're not going to be able to successfully prevent something. Um, So that relationship comes first, last, and always. And whatever you need to do to preserve the open communication with your kids, um, you should prioritize that. I love what you're saying. It really coincides with everything we talk about and teach in mindful parenting. And um, I think that's amazing. And I, I really appreciate the analogy that you gave about like, what would you do if it was in real life? You know, like, what if they were like, you know, it was 11 year olds hanging out like in real life, you know, you, you know, yeah, there might be times where they're off on their own, but there might be times where you're hanging out together and you're kind of checking in and, and whatnot. So that um, that really helps me anyway, like kind of wrap my head around it and, and think about a good and, you know, think about it in a healthy way. Well, the other thing I just to, to add on to that, that I want to mention um, that can go um, un, un overlooked at this point in the game is the eyes on the street. So who are the other trusted adults outside the family, um, you know, that might follow your kid on Instagram if they have an Instagram account? Is it the mm. ca- counselor or the auntie, the cousin, your family friend? Um, that might be, you know, they're not going to necessarily report every single thing back to mom, but there might be some things that they do. Um, and so that's how we, that's how we collectively keep our kids safe is with that web of trusted adults. Um, and, and I even got a great piece of advice from a, um, a sex education worker, uh, that I I interviewed several years ago who said she actually had a nominating process, a very formal process where every year she would ask her child, children, who is the grown up for this year that if you need to talk to someone about something you can go to something that you're worried, you're embarrassed to come to me, or you're worried I'm going to be disappointed in you who is that person? And then together, we're going to go tell that person that, that they're your person for this year. Hmm. That's an interesting way to do it. Yeah. And cause I've thought about that. And then as my kids have gotten older and thought, well, will then my, my child go to this friend of ours, you know, like, even though it, that's something I'd hope, um, I like the idea of kind of formalizing that process. That's, that's really cool. Um, okay. So, all right. There's a lot to take in here. I'm, I'm gonna, <laughs> we may be listening back, me and you, dear listener. Um, but let's think, so, you know, in this time in the pandemic, we're, we're struggling to kind of balance it, obviously. Is there, is there any way, is there any kind of rule of thumb for how much is okay? Like what, what do, is there, and what would your response, I guess, to that question be? Cause I, I, I get that question. So I'm, I'm curious about what your response is. Um, I think that it's, it's kind of like healthy eating, you know, you want to think about the week more than the day, um, you know, and the balance that comes across several meals and not just every single meal. So for me, um, guarding that sleep time is important. Having an hour of wind down time before bed, making sure they get outside every single day and that you have at least one screen free meal, um, hopefully with as many family members that can attend that meal. Um, those are the priorities. Obviously they need to get schoolwork done. Um, and whatever that it means. And then, um, so does that mean that the other hours in the day are free for all? I mean, you can add on to that. And this is something that's been in a negotiation with my nine-year-old who's on remote school and finishes her work very quickly. Um, I would say that there's, you know, you can, you can certainly try to say that you're going to ask them to add on another screen-free activity other than, you know, that's in their free time, their ample mm-hmm. free time um, on top of that. Uh, so then once you do all those things, you've, you've kind of chunked it down to like, I don't know, three hours a day, two hours a day, 
but it can't be hard and fast and it's going to change day by day because you can't control all of it. Someday you're going to, you know, you're going to have the day where you're, you're chock full of meetings or, you know, both kids are out of, of childcare because of uh, the pandemic and like things are going to go off the rails. And then just like with eating, you say like, okay, we're going to take a few days to kind of bring it back into balance and maybe we'll get a day off and we'll spend the day outside away from screens and kind of balance it out that way. Okay. All right. So yeah, in, in my family, we've done, um, for our sakes as adults, as much as our kids' yeah. sakes, we've done screen-free Sunday for uh, years and years now. Um, nice. And that that's really helpful for me. Would you recommend that uh, that families create like a kind of a chunk of time where that's like a little bit of a detox time like that? If it sounds appealing to you, yes. I'm very wary of loading something else. Yeah, on yeah, parents yeah. We plate. don't want to should them. <laughs> yeah, but if it if it sounds like appealing, and also if you if you really feel stuck, like if you feel like these are patterns that I can't get out of and I don't know how, taking you know taking going out of range can be a great a great great way to do it if you have the resources to do it. Yeah, but okay. again, like it it should be something where you really feel like and and you know I mean there's um there's a softer approach to it, which is like, oh, hey, like I found these like secondhand roller skates. Why don't we go spend the day at the roller skate park? And then like, it's not like you're pitching it as a screen-free day, but you're mm. pitching it as a fun family activity that happens to take us away from our screens. Water park. That was something that was commonly mentioned in the, in the before times because you're in the, in the pool. There's no phones in the pool. <laughs> yeah. You can't have a phone in the pool. That's for sure. Um, okay. All right. So, so yeah. And, and, you know, this can be hard for parents too. I mean, like it's winter, yeah. like it's COVID, like, you know, there's not that much. I went for a walk six feet away with yeah. my friend recently. And it's like, you know, I'm like, oh, here we go. We're looking at another weekend where like, I'm like, yeah. we're having movie night on Friday. And then Bill and I are watching a show on Saturday. You know what I mean? Like it's, yep. there's like just not that much to do. Yeah. Um, other than go for walks and it's cold and windy yeah. and like miserable out. It's like, yeah. this is definitely the, the worst part of a pandemic. I have to say. Yeah. These are the doldrums. Absolutely. I mean, uh, so the, the one thing that we haven't, I mean, I talked about this a tiny bit, but like, I really build in the notion of co-viewing as well as part of mm -hmm. a healthy media approach that mm -hmm. there needs to be some of the time that you're spending that you're actually sharing with your kids. Mm -hmm. And so it's one thing that it's one thing to have everybody on four different devices and mm -hmm. a very different thing to be watching, let's say, Grease with your nine year old and be and like trying to explain what those outfits are about <laughs> and like <laughs> laughing and throwing popcorn. Like it really is a different kind of experience. And so letting people take turns choosing what show to watch and actually picking a show to watch together once in a while, I think can be mm -hmm. it's not a break, but it's but it's a change up. Yeah. And it's something that brings you together. We, yeah, we yeah. do that every Friday night is movie night. And now during COVID, we are so regular on that it used to be like, there would be things yeah. that would interrupt all these different yeah, Fridays. Right. And totally. now, now yeah. we're like, boom, 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 every Friday. Yeah. Um, and kind of every Tuesday or Wednesday night, we watch like a show together. And that's, that's mm -hmm. the hardest one is to like pick, pick a show to watch together. Oh, right? I that's know. Like, what have you watched? Uh, well, our kids are a little older, so we yeah. have watched... I don't know. For a while, we were into the Great British Baking Show. We've watched yep. 
a couple episodes of Cobra Kai, but I'm not sure everybody's into it. Yeah. We really liked um, the world's most extraordinary homes and I wish they would oh. make more of those. That was really fun. Great British <laughs> Baking Show is a totally a family classic. Um, we, me and my nine-year-old watched all of The Good Place and I really recommend it. Oh yeah. See, my problem is I watched like every episode except the latest one on my own. So I'm like uh-huh. a little like hesitant. I rewatched it just with her. I rewatched it with her. That's a good idea. I think maybe I'll just suggest that we re- we rewatch that one together because it's because like I love like the ideas behind it, like what happens yeah. in the afterlife, and uh, yeah. those questions are like fascinating for me. But if you could watch it with a nine year old, then then I could watch it with my 11, 14 year old. And I mean, yeah. And for co-viewing, here's another mistake that I made, just FYI, people. Like, definitely always check Common Sense Media. Yeah, very good what's, point. On what's going on with the movies. So yeah. when my daughter, when my oldest daughter was like uh, 11, meaning my youngest daughter was like eight, mm-hmm. she, my older daughter had read the book, Miss Peregrine's Peculiar Children. Oh. So I can't keep up with her. I mean, she's said they're both such voracious readers. Like I can't, I can't like read all the books I read, but I saw the book on the coffee table. I saw the cover and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then the movie movie came out and I was like, oh, it's for some reason my head, it like clicked in that it was like, it had the word children in the cover and my like yeah. 11, almost 12 year old had read it. So I was like, oh, let's go watch this together. And I didn't check. Mm-hmm. And people it's like a horror movie for kids like it's really oh, no. scary oh, it's no. so scary I was petrified I was holding yeah. my eight-year-old on my lap we were both like ah we're so yep. scared so just check yeah check the movie totally definitely my, always check my dad took me to uh Robocop at some point when <gasps> I was a kid oh no <laughs> and I guess he says the story and I like tugged on his arm and I was like it's like me and like all these like adult men you know and I was like yeah I don't think I'm supposed to be here (laughs) and to his credit he took me out he left the movie and took me out but I remember those first scenes were like pretty intense (laughs) (laughs) don't take your kids to see Robocop (laughs) yeah Okay. So then we're talking, we're kind of shifting into some good ways we can kind of share screens. Are there, are there any apps or games or things that we, you think are like kind of positive and, and kind of push it onto that positive side that you would recommend? Um, I, I, I have to confess that I'm not a huge gamer. Um, I know that, uh, what we've seen a lot of growth in and what I see in my house is the Roblox, the Minecraft, and now among us. Um, and I think that all of those have pretty low barriers to entry that make it, um, a, it's, it's really nice if you're able to, to try to engage alongside your kid and at least understand the basics of the games and what's fun about them, um, as well as the mechanics of like who they're talking to and that type of thing. Because with my daughter, like she's able to get on with her actual friends and play together. Um, and I think that's really, you know, it's a lot more, um, I, I feel a lot better about that because she's talking with people that she knows and sometimes she'll zoom at the same time that she's playing. Um, so I, in general, I would just say like as a bias for me that the more kind of app, appified and casual the game is, the less rewarding it's going to be. The more it has these like, you know, what it has like a million little ding, ding, ding and rewards and in-app upgrades. And it's sort of like it's designed to be played on your phone endlessly. That's not so great. It's a lot, it's like more sticky and it's less complicated where mm-hmm. ironically, like the system-based games, the PC games, the games that you pay for, 
they're not necessarily constructed that way. They're not constantly upselling you and they are, um, they're meant to sort of have a longer narrative and you're investing a little more time in them. So, you know, depending on what your kid is excited about doing, you can kind of figure out how to um, turn it into something that you feel a little bit better about. Yeah. Yeah. It's in Minecraft is interesting because my kids started playing when they were young and now my daughter's like 14 and she's so into it. Like the teenagers Amazing. are super into it. It's incredibly yeah. creative what they're doing. She's yeah. like, uh, I mean, it, it's pre really pretty interesting. Um, and I'm pretty sure she has like some secret crushes on some Minecraft YouTubers as well. So <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> she's never going to totally. listen to this. Sorry, Maggie. <laughs> um, yeah. okay. So, all right. So like, let's not freak out, but let's like be discerning. Let's look at what's there. Um, and let's try to, let's be, you know, let's be modeling healthy behavior. Let's be trying to like engage, you know, in things that are not, not screen time together and maybe doing, doing some screen time together is if, if for the parent who's listening, who's worried that their child is like definitely worried their child has had way too much screen time. Is there a way mm -hmm. to effectively like kind of wean your child off of that? What can they do? Yeah, this is a great question. So um, in my presentations, I, I give parents something called the problematic media use measure, which is a basically questionnaire that started to be validated that is based on behavioral addictions such as gambling addiction. And it really focuses not on the amount of time, but on the, the child's relationship to the media. So is it the, the one thing that they seem to care about, the thing that they think about when they get up in the morning? Do they sneak it? Do they sneak around late at night, early in the morning? Do they break your VPN? Um, any kind of um, controls you try to put on it in order to get more? Um, are they, is it interrupting basically their relationships with family, with friends, um, and certainly with school? So, you know, if you see those kinds of red flags, warning signs, um, I do think that it's kind of necessary to impose a little bit, uh, you know, a, or a lot more structure and interruption in that kind of reward cycle. Um, and, uh, you know, whether that be, you know, really reducing the amount of time and, and giving, you know, someone where there's, um, you know, even, you know, going back to what might be more appropriate for a younger child in terms of like, you're going to earn this much time by doing these other things that you need to do. Um, not taking it away forever, like there's no rewards on the horizon, but but really saying like, this is something we need to really control and measure. Um, and it's very, very hard because if you think about, you know, a substance addiction where you can cold turkey it out of your life forever, right? Mm -hmm. Versus something like food where you actually have to just transform your relationship to it and you can't stop eating food, that's a lot harder. Um, and I, I would argue that technology is a lot more like food because it's going to be in their lives in some form, certainly mm -hmm. for school. And so they need to be able to have a structured, you know, maybe a lot of structure, a lot of guardrails, but make sure that there's rewards as well as punishments involved in that. Um, as you say, like, okay, you know, if I want to, if I see you playing the piano or if I see you reading a book or doing something that's, um, you know, a similar kind of game, but it's a board game version of it, um, then you can maybe earn a little bit more video game time back. Um, and, and kind of going about it that way, but it's going to take time and patience. And, and when, for a parent who's like maybe thinking that they may need to do some of this, how, are there any skillful ways to kind of go about starting this conversation and justifying or explaining that to their children? Because there's going to be a lot of pushback. Like my brother 
doesn't have these limits on, you know, on this, but why do I have to have it? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so, you know, um, you and I, we've been having a lot of fights about your video game use and um, you disrespected my boundaries by waking up in the middle of the night and taking the, the system into your room. And I really don't want to have conflicts about this with you. I, I really, I think you're such a great kid and you have, you know, there's so many things that you do really, really well. So we need to problem solve together about how we're going to have a better um, discussion about this and rules around this going forward, because this can't go on like this. Um, and uh, I know that I've talked to your teacher and she really feels like you could be doing better in your math. And I know you don't feel great about your math grades right now. Um, so, you know, so let's problem solve. What are the, what are the ways that we could do this? And they might surprise you with what they come up with. You know, it's very rare that we, honestly, many families ask our kids what they want and, and what they think about. Um, and I, I mean, I'll be totally real with you. Like I had this conversation with my daughter not too long ago. I said, you're, you know, you're getting good grades, but you're racing through your school and just to get back on the video games. And do I need to sign you up for some activities um, or an extra class to make sure you're using your time wisely, or can I trust you to make decisions about how you use your time? Mm-hmm. And that really was the, that was the conversation. And, and we've seen that she's, you know, now choosing to spend more of her time practicing piano and reading books. Um, so, you know, and I mean, my kid is not like, kids are very different and they're different in the amount of like energy and time that they have to be oppositional versus, um, you know, versus working with you. But I, I do, that is the way that I tried to approach it with my own daughter very, very recently. It's interesting as you describe that behavior, my own, my daughter has a, has a, I, it's like almost like an addiction obsession with listening to audio, like literally huh. listening to Harry Potter Yep. or this podcast that she likes all the time. In fact, like yesterday, like she was, um, like she hadn't eaten breakfast. So I knew she was hungry. I'd come in for lunch and I was like, and then she chose, cause we don't want her to listen to her headphones, listen to Harry Potter while she's like in the room with us, yeah. like hanging out. Like that's not yeah. rude. So she yeah. chooses to wait until we have all made our lunch and sat down and eating. <laughs> so then she will go in and mm-hmm. listen to her headphones and make her lunch, which I'm mm-hmm. like, a little worried about this behavior, but I'm like, ah, I don't know. Like it's so, I don't know. I'm a little worried mm-hmm. that she's has difficulty being in reality without mediation. Um, I totally feel you. And I feel for both sides <laughs> of, of the story there because we are all living on top of each other right now. And we don't have the mental space that we might've been used to when we had our busy lives and our routines. And I would love to hear from your daughter, like if she feels like this is how she can have have mental space and just be in Mm. a world of her own and not have to deal with the back and forth or the concerns or the compliments or anything that's coming from her family versus be at Hogwarts mentally. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that perspective. But the the concern, I mean, of course, your concern is so valid too. And the compassion in there just to say like, you know, that you like having her around and you like having her conversations and you'd love yes. for there to be a small amount of time that you can connect as a family. And what, what does that look like for you guys? That's beneficial for everyone, you know? 
So funny for for you listeners who have like younger kids who won't stop talking to you, just just listen to my story (laughs) and like appreciate their like incessant chatter. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. The little girl pretending to be a kitten on the stairs, just like refusing to walk up the stairs. That was my reality this morning. (laughs) Oh, that's so awesome. All right. Well, good. Um, I think we have covered so many things. I've definitely want to re-listen thinking about like, we're going to be prioritizing sleep, thinking about being collaborative, about creating those boundaries, um, maybe turning off that TV in the background and, and thinking about, you know, our own behavior, like, so we're not getting interrupted, you know, when we can, we can really be present. Um, Anya, is there anything that we didn't cover that you think that's important for parents to know when we are worried about screen time and thinking about screen time and and how to get through this weird pandemic time and back into normal times? Um, I think we did a great job. I mean, I love the way that you've been like summarizing the the takeaways uh, at each point. Um, You know, I think that, uh, I mean, one aspect that I'm curious about has to do with media literacy and how our young people are making sense of the world around them through what they may or may not be hearing on the news and and just the plague of misinformation and disinformation. So I think, you know, we just did a piece at NPR about civics learning and part of civics has to do with, you know, talking about what you hear in the news, definitely not playing the news all day and all night. You know, we don't, we don't want to do that, but, but helping our kids make sense of what they may hear or just get filtered in, um, it might even be in a YouTube video or it might be, you know, in Minecraft where they're getting references to things going on in the world. And it's really incumbent upon us to talk to them about that and, and help them understand what trusted news sources are and how to make sense of, of what they hear in the world. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good point. I mean, we want to think about, well, you know, what is the source of this and what, why do you think that person is saying this and invite them to question? I think that's it. It's funny because like, it's interesting because like with all the crazy things that have happened, the people who are being, um, you know, being really pulled into like radical positions, in some ways they, that is because they're questioning, right? (laughs) Right? Like in some ways that is because they're questioning, but it's, so it's like, yeah, how, I, I don't know. There's like a lot of, um, a lot up in the air in some ways that there. Yeah. I mean, skepticism doesn't mean that you can't be convinced of crazy things. Like it, it really is important that our kids understand scientific methods and, and sort of research. And I mean, part of that is the job of the schools, but um, you know, we, we do have just, we want to create a family culture where we say like, you know, we, we sort of understand what we can and can't trust and, and sort of make decisions based on those heuristics as well. And instead of just like questioning everything, but saying like, okay, like this is why, you know, this is why politicians say the certain things that they do. This is why business people say the things that they do. And everybody's coming from a point of view. And, and, you know, the dinner table really is like the, uh, the, the little laboratory of democracy where we get people who not only speak up for what they believe in, but also learn to consider what other people think. Yeah. We've had some interesting conversations with my daughter about, um, trans rights and whether JK Rowling is yeah, like, and, you know, anti-trans yeah. and, and just, um, you know, it's been very, very interesting to, to, yeah. to look at, you know, a, she's really passionate and then, but to then offer her some more nuance to the different sides of the arguments. Um, 
So it's really totally. interesting. All right. So yeah, let's, let's think about what our kids may or may not be, be hearing. Um, yeah. I think younger kids hear a lot more than we think they hear. You know what I mean? They do. And, you know, I, I, my, um, in, I, in my, someone close to me has, um, has been, has, um, kids who are, um, mixed race kids and has been in very protective of not, of not protecting their innocence has been mm. their position. And mm. I'm a little worried about that because I know that kids hear more than they think they, you know what I mean? And, and is, yeah. then it, is that the message that we can't talk about these things? And I, I don't know. There's, that's a whole other podcast. I that's guess. a whole other podcast <laughs> and I hope you do it. I, I, I'm a big fan of, of race literacy and race consciousness and making sure that um, our kids know that these topics are not off limits and that they understand um, their position in the world as white children. I think it's, it's just, it's, it's so incumbent upon us to, to do that and to do that work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been such a pleasure. I know we're, uh, you have opened the door to so many ideas up here at the end, but I think what you have offered, uh, us in a lot of ways is, um, you know, reassuring, like we're going to get through this. We're going to go back to a more balanced life at some point yeah. where this won't be, um, such an issue. Like, it's, it's coming, that that sort of more balanced life is coming and we can navigate these waters, but you're kind of inviting us into a place of like, let's talk, let's collaborate, let's trust, let's listen. Let's just like kind of be alert and don't fall victim to our own anxiety and our own fear in this kind of. That's so true, Hunter. And just feeling, helping ourselves feel more competent to address this. I think, you know, there's a basic, and I get into this in, in the art of screen night, just like, Grandma didn't have any iPad rules. And so we don't have any passed on wisdom on this and we're really making it up. And that's why we feel so at sea, I think. Mm. But we can develop the collective wisdom. And I think the reason that that's why there's positive media like this, right? For parents to share and feel like they're part of a community that's collectively developing best practices on this. Yeah, hell yeah. Thank you so much, Anya. Um, Where can people find out more about you and- um, Um, I'm on anyakamenetz.net, um, A-N-Y-A-K-A-M-E-N-E-T-Z. I have a newsletter, which is a tiny letter that you can sign up for, which I have my um, my articles and my appearances and my books. Um, I'm on Twitter, Anya when Anya. So yeah, come find me. All right, all those places. And we will have links to Anya's things at mindfulmomamentor.com in the show notes. Thanks again, Anya. I really appreciate the work that you've done and I really appreciate your time sharing it with us. We've needed someone to talk, you know, we've needed to have you come and talk to us about this because those worries have been up in the air. So it's it's really um, a great thing. So thank you. My pleasure, truly. Thank you so much for your work that you do. I love what Anya said about this whole, like, you know, including our kids in and, and really just getting that perspective. We always need that perspective, don't we, about what's really happening and and how to, how to address it. So I hope this episode has helped you. If so, please share it with some friends. If you have other people who are struggling with screen time, text it to your group of mom friends, share it in your, you know, local area Facebook group so that others can be part of this conversation and get the help that they need to. It makes a huge difference. 
All right. Well, I appreciate your time. I really thank you for connecting with me today. Oh, I forgot the other thing I wanted to tell you. Mindful Mama Mentor has an awesome new YouTube channel now. So you can see video clips of this episode as well as other episodes we've done on our YouTube channel. And you can just go to YouTube and search Mindful Mama Mentor and you'll find the YouTube channel. Go ahead and subscribe. So we're looking to, to get our subscription numbers up to get those videos out. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll see me teaching on a bunch of topics like little five minute sessions as well as clips from this podcast episode. So if you wanna see what it looks like, go ahead and check it out. Mindful Mama Mentor on YouTube. All right, well, thanks again, my friend. I'm so happy to connect with you. I'm wishing you pockets of peace and joy and a healthy week. Namaste. I say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I had this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clarkfields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside mindfulparentingcourse.com. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom in Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. 
Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.